Welcome to Cartels, Conspiracies, and Camarena. I'm Jack Llewellyn. Thanks for joining me. So last week, we talked about El Mencho. And I didn't really give you a good description of where we were going in the next couple of weeks. And I want to do that now. Talk about what we've talked about in the past. Give you an idea of what's coming up in the immediate future. And then what that looks like in the long-term future while also focusing on some current events and also considering some changes and new things in social media that we will talk about. But let's go back to kind of the short term. So last week we talked about El Mencho. Tried to give a little bit of background on him, his rise to power, what CJNG really looks like from an operational perspective. And um, also kind of tried to answer the question, why in the world has he been able to stay out of jail for so long? Today, we're going to do essentially the same thing for El Mayo. And then as a preview, next week, we're going to do the same thing for Los Chapitos, which will also turn into a bit of a discussion on El Chapo. After that, we're going to do one more episode talking just about the cartels. Okay, remember a few weeks ago, we did kind of an introductory, all right? Here are the major cartels and things. What we're really doing now is we're doing a deep dive into the major cartels and their leadership. Now, why are we doing that? We talked recently about the idea that this podcast was going to expand wasn't going to deviate from its roots. It wasn't going to forget its foundations, but it was going to expand and start having more discussions about current events, current cartel activities, um, international relations, border relations, the war on, on drugs, all of those sorts of things. And in my mind, in order to do that, in order to have productive conversations going forward, we needed a baseline. Something we could all kind of agree on as a core set of facts, a basic understanding of who are the main cartels and who are their leaders and how do they generally act. Once we have that, then we can start looking at what's going on in the world and different things. And, and um, I think we can have some very interesting discussions and analyses of current events, of cartels. Um, you know, a few weeks ago, we had Steve Duncan on to talk about the AFL Tijuana cartel. Great, great uh, interview, great guest going to have him back on. We want to have more of those. But again, the thought process is the more of a baseline and a foundation we have, the better those discussions will be. Now, I will be honest with you. Um, the timing of this does coordinate a little bit with the holiday season when, frankly, there were uh, there was less time to research and uh, broadcast and record podcasts and probably less time to uh, to listen to them. So I thought a useful uh, 
focus of our time during this period is this uh, analysis of and basic understanding of the cartels and their leadership. Okay, so that's part one. Also want to talk about uh, social media, and I want to thank anybody who has seen the YouTube channel uh, of the exact same name. Thank you for being here. If you haven't checked out the YouTube channel, please do so. Um, Very new, starting off slowly, but we're going to have lots of interesting things over there. Primarily things that we can't do here for for a variety of reasons. So there's going to be overlap, but they're not going to be the same thing. So feel free to look at both, and I hope you enjoy both. I welcome comments on both. Okay, let's talk about El Mayo. And I spend... A fair amount of time doing research on uh, these guys, you know, the the cartels, their leadership. And I have to tell you, El Mayo is one of my um, favorites, the wrong word, but most intriguing characters. El Mayo was born January 1st, 1948. Okay, so 75 years old. He has been, for all practical purposes, in charge of the Sinaloa cartel since 1989. And we can, we'll talk a little bit about, you know, the degree of control, etc. So 1989, let's say. So that's what, another 34 years? Coming up on 34? Because um, the... The infamous uh, Felix Gallardo division, which we'll also talk about, with, it was in July, I think. So, again, been in power for a very long time. Very long time. You know what's interesting? Virtually no pictures of him. None. None from anywhere recent. We're going to talk about this more too, but there's no audio recording of his voice. And forget forget anything you might have heard on social media yesterday or the day before. Okay, No real verifiable recording of his voice in distinct contravention to El Chapo. Right? If you go back and you look at El Chapo, what was some of the best evidence against him? It was his own voice in telephone recordings. He wasn't. (laughs) El Chapo, actually, at the end of the day, wasn't all that smart. Um, That's one of the things that really got him caught. We've talked about the fact that there are recordings of El Mencho, right? Remember, we, you know, do you know who I'm talking to and, and stuff, or who you're talking to? El Mencho. Nothing like that of El Mayo. Um, there also are very, very few descriptions of where he's at, what he does. Um, all of these things that can get you into trouble if you're a drug dealer. And, you know, we've brought it up over and over. One of the things I talk about with El Chapo is he made himself too known. That's never a good thing. 
I think you can, you know, look at the mafia, look at, at some point, you know, John Gotti was going to be convicted. He was the Teflon Don for a long time, but at some point he was going to be convicted. El Chapo escaped and he escaped and then he escaped, but eventually he was going to get caught and put in a place where he, he ain't never escaping from. So El Mencho, what do we know about him? Again, we know that uh, he was born in Culiacan. We know that he grew up in Culiacan. Um, he was a, a farmer for the most part as his, as he started off, his family was. That's like everybody else. Um, at some point, he probably was um, a killer, an assassin, a Sicario, member of a hit squad, however you want to look at, at it probably for the Carrillo Fuentes family and maybe for some predecessors of the Juarez cartel. At some point, he also established some independent ties with uh, Colombian cocaine suppliers and probably did that through a relationship with Felix Gallardo. Now, I just said probably, what, seven, eight, nine times the amount of information that we don't have on El Mayo is staggering. We know far more about Rafael Cairo Quintero and Ernesto Fonseca, for example, and we don't know a whole lot about them. Obviously, there's way more about Felix Gallardo. We also know more about El Chapo, by far. We know more about El Mencho, okay? We know a lot more about the Ariano Felix brothers and family. We know very little concrete about El Mayo. As we've talked about many, many times, the cartel world in Mexico changed dramatically in or about 1989. And that's when Felix Gallardo arranged for the famous meeting in Acapulco where, and I'm going to use air quotes, he divided up the territories. I'm not going to go into all the details why I think that um, that explanation or that description is just patently false. We've talked about it a lot. But irrespective of what he was divvying up or the relationships, etc., what we do know is coming out of that meeting over a period of time became the establishment of some set cartels, right? Cartels that really operated as cartels, cartels that became defensive of their territory and led to competition amongst the cartels. Right. So if we go back pre-1989, there is the argument, there is the assertion that Felix Gallardo was able to essentially keep everybody happy. And so while you had plaza leaders, you also had coordinated efforts, you had less rivalries, you had more cooperation, and that all of that changed, not overnight, but over a period of time when 
Felix Gallardo's condition in prison changed so that he was no longer able to kind of have that day-to-day or hands-on approach to management. And from that sprung the real cartels. And we've also talked in the past about, you know, the um, Rafa, Don Neto, and Felix being referred to as the Guadalajara narcotics cartel did not exist. Remember, never existed. Those words were never uttered prior to the Cambrena case. La Familia is what they were called by the DEA. So 1989 comes. Felix Gallardo says, I can't control things anymore. Here's kind of how I think things should go. And you have some divisions amongst the territories, principally, but certainly, certainly not exclusively. You end up with the Tijuana cartel. You end up with Sinaloa cartel. You end up with BLO, Gulf cartel. So, The predominant one, though, for our purposes today, is the Sinaloa cartel. And what is staggering when you think about it, 1989, let's just say you split things up, walking out of that meeting, one of the two or three dominant cartels, dominant drug trafficking groups, is the Sinaloa cartel. And what do we see, what, almost 34 years later, one of the two or three most dominant cartels in Mexico is the Sinaloa cartel. That, ladies and gentlemen, is freaking impressive. To stay in power that long and think of the organizations that have come and gone. Just the big ones off of our top, top of our heads, BLO. AFO, Gulf Cartel, Zetas. La Familia Michoacana. Uh, You know, we could go down a long list. Cartels have come and gone. Leaders have come and gone. Sinaloa Cartel and El Mayo are still there. That's pretty damn impressive. And I know we're not supposed to be, you know, all too excited about drug dealers and stuff, but give props where props are due. So El Mayo takes over the Sinaloa cartel, at least in part. And and one of the things that he's done reasonably well over time is he's been really good at sharing power. And I I think that um, we should give a lot more credit to him for for that um you know there are there are times when um there are times when it seems that he has more control over the cartel than others but there are clearly times when um other people are are going to receive some of the power and if you think about it at the beginning of the cartel, the Sinaloa cartel, so again, this July 1989 time period, there were several lieutenants. And again, this is a, I don't like <laughs> the way this is oftentimes referred to, but I'm going to do it now for our purposes. So let's say there were several lieutenants of Felix Gallardo 
who became leaders in the what became known as the Sinaloa cartel. So Hector Luis Palma Salazar, Adrian Gomez Gonzalez, El Mayo, uh, Ignacio Villarreal, El Chapo. What do we know of all of those we just mentioned? Who's still there? Who's still in power? It's El Mayo. Um, I tried to do some looking just because I was curious where the nickname El Mayo comes from. And I can't find a great example. Um, or, I mean, a great answer to that. So, um, believe it or not, I did find some place that said that El Mayo, actually, I guess this is an urban dictionary, a Spanish language urban dictionary that says um, El Mayo is a Mexican way of saying laugh my ass off, L-M-A-O. Um, and that um, the cartels, or that he was making um, fun of the authorities by being called El Mayo, laughing my ass off at you. No, nothing, nothing in the world to suggest that that's actually true, but I did read that. You can find that. Um, you know, some have speculated that, that it has more to do with, um, something to do with the month of May, et cetera. But anyways, we don't really know. Again, another example of just how much we really don't know. Um, there have been various times as we've talked about in the past when, uh, Mexican governments, when there's a change in authority and a change in power, uh, there becomes different efforts by the Mexican government. So we know, for example, in 2006, when Felipe Calderon came into power, that there were um, renewed efforts, renewed offensive against cartels and, um, and their leadership. Um. One of the big things that came out of that in particular was um, uh, government efforts to bring down the Tijuana cartel, um, which was, if not the biggest or the worst cartel, it was at least a, um, a cartel that operated in a very important section of Mexico, right? Tijuana for all of the, the trade and everything else. And they were kind of out there and known. So you have this front or this effort against the Tijuana cartel, which led in part to El Mayo and El Chapo really making inroads into Northwestern Mexico and really led to what essentially was a full-scale war between the Sinaloa cartel and the Tijuana cartel. Uh, El Mayo is uh, famous in the United States because in 2007, he was featured on America's most wanted. Now, again, I, I always like to, um, to compare and contrast his style to that of, of El Chapo, you know, El Chapo, we're, we'll talk about this next week. But El Chapo meets with Sean Penn. El Chapo does interviews. Uh, 
El Mayo hasn't done any of that. There were um, reports that in about 2011, El Mayo might have had plastic surgery. And um, that he really now may be able to freely move through Mexico because of that plastic surgery, because the pictures of him are so old. Um, you know, I made the, the joke the other day that I could sit down next to him, you know, at a cafe in Guadalajara and never know it because... You know, unless you're at, looking for him, he's not going to look like any picture you've ever seen. He's just not. You know, you've got the two famous pictures. You got the one in particular of him in a in a baseball hat and and the the mustache, and then you've got one that looks to be a little bit older from uh, in the two thousands. But I'm guessing that the best picture that we've seen of of El Mayo is twenty years old. He's seventy five now. So how does that affect him? Don't know. Uh, a few interesting things about Amayo. Uh, in 2014, there were a couple of raids on his homes in Mexico. Uh, he said that he was able to get away uh, because he knew the streams, the woods, the trees, the rocks better than anyone else, and that they'd never catch him uh, because of that. And and we'll talk about. Um, him in the media in just a second. Uh, in about 2008, his brother, El Rey, was arrested in Mexico City. In 2009, his eldest son, Vincent Zambada Niebla, was arrested. Um, and um, Zambada Niebla, his son, Vincente, he actually testified against uh, El Chapo in El Chapo's trial, and he essentially gave testimony against his father, El Mayo. One of the things that he said that got a lot of attention, and I love this, um, he said that his father's bribery budget was often as much as $1 million per month with bribes going to many high-level Mexican public officials. So think about that. Let's do some quick math. Um, you know, he's been in power, let's just say since 1989. So we'll say 33 years just uh, for easy numbers. So 33 years and hold on, 33 years times 12 months equals 396. So you know, let's say it was a million a month, some months, let's say it was half a million a month, some months. So let's say times $750,000. That's someplace in the neighborhood of uh, $2 billion in maybe $3 billion in bribes over his his career. I got to think you can buy a lot of protection with that. Um. We've talked a lot, and we're going to talk far more about this next week. But after Caro Quintero, Rafa, was released from prison, there became uh, more and more of the split between El Mayo's faction and 
the faction loyal to El Chapo, who by that time had been arrested and uh, extradited to the United States. Apparently, and again, we talk about this stuff. So many people, you can go online and find article after article after article talking about this split and, you know, um, who was who supported whom. There's still a lot of speculation. You know, it's not like there's minutes being taken of, of meetings between El Chapo and, and El Mayo and, and we can read them when we know what's going on. So I want to be very careful about saying what apparently is factual and what might not be so factual. But sometime in, you know, in 2020, there becomes this split. Rafa is, is out. Rafa apparently, along with his brother Miguel, really wants to get back into the business to the extent that they were ever out of it. And more importantly, they want to get, get back into uh, the Sinaloa cartel, but they only want to do that if they're going to have a leadership role. Apparently, um, Los Chapitos were less than excited about that. <coughs> Excuse me. This may have coincided with some health issues that El Mayo had, but the result is a split in the cartel where you now have um, the Los Chapitos and the El Mayo side and a great deal of speculation about how they work with each other and the degree to which there is any cooperation between the two groups currently. Okay, so that takes us to today, right? And El Mayo is still free. There's still no real picture of him that's in, even close to recent. We don't have any idea if he's had plastic surgery and looks notably different than his pictures. There's still no um, verifiable audio recording of his. And he's been able to stay in power in a way that is absolutely unique in. Mexican drug history and is virtually unparalleled in any um, criminal organization, at least in the Western Hemisphere. When you talk to or you listen to DEA authorities, um, and I do want to go back here. Let me let me go back. There may have been a time in 2011 when El Mayo was on a phone call from prison with Vincente. Um, but what I'm told or what I, I understand to be the case is number one, that it's unconfirmed. Number two, that the recording is notoriously bad, that there's not a lot of um, ability to enhance it or things. And therefore, if it is him, in fact, on the call, um, it's of very little use in trying to, you know, voice match, et cetera, et cetera. Especially again, now that we're, you know, 12 years down the road from it. So how has El Mayo been able to stay in power? Well, there's a couple of things. Um, 
DEA agents, uh, other folks that are have studied the cartel has said that one of the things that about him is that he's incredibly strategic. He's got long-term thinking um, and maybe contrast that with, with El Chapo. And he's a good leader in the sense that he makes sure that everyone in his group is happy. How many times have we seen cartels fall or falter because of inter-cartel rivalries? Let me back that up one more time. Because of intra-cartel rivalries, right? You've got fractions, you've got splits, you've got somebody who wants to be the leader. El, El Mencho and El Cholo. You know, all of these these issues, right? Um, that seems to happen less with the Sinaloa cartel over time. And even within this, you know, split with the Los Chapitos, he still seems to have a core group that's very, very um, loyal to him and has sees no reason, no benefit to, uh, you know, in any way moving on from, from his leadership. Um, there's a retired DE agent, Jack Riley, who's given some quotes at different times. Um, again, he calls El Mayo a, um, a business visionary. And he also says, and I think this is a really nice quote. He is an enemy we have never dealt with. He understood from a young age the importance of going unnoticed. Isn't that interesting? You know, you go, you look at cartel leaders now. Let's, you know, um, you know, let's talk about El Chapo. We'll talk about him next week too. But you know, El Chapo started off, you know, as a, as a grunt, as a worker. Right, it was in the cartel system, and then he kind of moved his way up. But he seemed to like being the guy, didn't he? Uh, You know, in some respects, El Mencho seems to like being the guy. He's not nearly as out in front as much, but you know, he's he's called police. He's you know, CJNG does things, and you know, puts out notices and. And, and makes a big deal of who they are. El Mayo was always a little bit of a different breed in that he liked, I think you could say he liked being the leader, but he liked being the leader for being the leader. He liked controlling a cartel for controlling a cartel, not for all the other stuff that can come with it. Um, we, the management structure of the Sinaloa cartel has probably changed over time. And when we, so two weeks down the road, when we talk about our cartels, we're going to make some, draw some distinctions. But in some respects, uh, the structure of the Sinaloa cartel now is a little bit more like Amway. In, in multi-level marketing. And by that, I mean, you have a whole, you've got more of a horizontal structure. And so 
while there are clearly people at the top, El Mayo and, and Los Chapitos, there's lots and lots of gangs. There's lots of affiliates. There's lots of different groups that are associated or affiliated with the Sinaloa cartel, but aren't necessarily part of the cartel. And what some have surmised is that makes them far more nimble, number one, makes them far more responsive to local issues, local supply, local demand, local threats. And it also makes it harder to to really impact them in any material way. So if you have a local gang that's working for CDS in, in someplace in Chihuahua and you take them out, it doesn't really affect the cartel as a whole and certainly not the upper leadership. Now, this last week, what happened? Well, on Thursday morning, Ovidio Guzman, one of the sons of uh, El Chapo, was arrested at his house in or at a house in Culiacan. Okay. Huge operation, big operation, uh, brought in hundreds of, of military personnel. Uh, there were helicopters, there were machine guns, there were fights, there were gun battles. Uh, Guzman was eventually taken to Altiplano prison in Mexico City. The Sinaloa cartel really laid siege to Culiacan and some other areas. They put out a notice that said, you got 72 hours to put him back or we're going after the government. Going to be very interested to see how that proceeds. Now, two different sets of rumors, stories, unconfirmed reports, etc. One says that CDS has coalesced around this arrest in a new and, and different way. That is, Los Chapitos and El Mayo's group are working together in opposition to the government. Um, and there are various reasons to think that might be the case. Keep in mind, we talked in the past, the idea that there seem to be reason to believe that the government preferred the Sinaloa cartel over other cartels. And if there was a balance, you know, a, a trade-off between having somebody stay in power, having some cartel presence, but getting rid of in the past, Tijuana, Los Zetas, today, CJNG, Las Linea. If, if that's the case, it's CDS. So some have surmised that there was a either a deal of some kind, or at least a wink-wink, nod-nod between the government and CDS that was violated as a result of this raid uh, uh, last week, and that that has brought CDS together fighting a common enemy, right? It's kind of like, I can smack my little brother around, but if you touch him, I'm going to kick your ass. Same idea. Okay, so... Maybe it brings them together, but, 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 but (laughs) there's also a lot of stories that cell phone traffic 
cell phone monitoring in the particular area of Kulikan where Guzman was picked up. That cell phone traffic seemed to indicate that those loyal to El Mayo knew where Guzman was, may have tipped off the government to his location, and that they did that on directions from El Mayo himself. Okay, so <laughs> this this is one of those one of those things. It's either yes or no. It's either black or it's white, but we don't know which. Either this is this has brought the cartel together, or this is going to tear them apart for sure. Because if it's found out, right? If it's found out that El Mayo or somebody working for him at his direction gave up Guzman. That's going to cause problems, right? Now, all of a sudden, my mind is going to, all right, it doesn't matter if he tipped him off, if the government could get other people, you know, if he could get Los Tapitos to think he did. So lots of different things. We're going to want to watch that. I think this is going to be from a, um, you know, just a, a, a curious perspective of what's going to happen. I think this is going to be fascinating. Uh other thing about El Mayo is, for whatever reason, drug dealers seem to have issues with um, uh, or you know, significant health issues. We talked about uh, El Mencho. El Mayo apparently has diabetes. There were, again, various times when there's been some suggestion that he was extremely sick. Every once in a while, you get reports that he's sick and dying or has died. Again, nothing of that. The thing that we don't know, and I tried to find some information on this, and we're going to get um, some people on fairly soon to talk about CDS, because one of the things I don't know and can't really find is exactly what, let's let's say El Mayo dies tomorrow. We know he's got lieutenants, and you can go on social media, and people will tell you, oh, here's his top 10 lieutenants, and I think it's, you know, um, it, there's a chance that some of it's right or all of it's wrong. Um, but I'm not. Sh- I don't think anybody has a great idea of what happens if he dies tomorrow. Where does that power void go? What does that mean for CDS going forward? And I think that again is going to be very interesting. And if you're in the United States or you're in Mexico and you are trying to plan and you're trying to think about, you know, the war on drugs impacting uh, the cartels in a negative way, thinking of policy considerations, where CDS goes after El Mayo has to be a prime consideration. Okay, so that's El Mayo. We've talked about El Mencho. Next week, we're talking about Los Chapitos and El Chapo. Then we'll talk about the cartels. Don't forget, got a newsletter Quick, easy read. If you want it, let me know your email address. I'll send it off to you. And also, search for our new channel on YouTube. We're going to have some cool, cool things there pretty soon, um, including video of the route that Agent Camarena was taken from the American consulate to Lope de Vega, a bunch of other things. So please check that out. 
And then join me next week for another episode of Cartels, Conspiracies, and Camarena when we talk about El Chapo and Los Chapitos. Have a great week, everyone. Thank you.